Welcome to Capturing the Abandon, a foray into the world of rural and urban abandoned exploration. Hello, my name is Vincent Gearhart, and along with my co-host, Mr. Lex Nichols, we'd like to welcome you to Episode 11 of Capturing the Abandon with our guest, Kelly Gomez of the Forgotten South on Instagram. This podcast is for and about the many talented rural and urban abandoned explorers out there. It's where we get an opportunity to highlight and recognize these amazing explorers to see what inspires and motivates them. And this gives us all a chance to get to know these individuals on a more personal level, as an artist, and as an individual. You can find our Facebook page by searching for Capturing the Abandoned, and we'll use this page to share our podcast information, including our show notes and artwork for each episode, and information on locations where you can download, stream, and or subscribe to it. In addition to the Facebook page, we've also created a Facebook group at the same location called Capturing the Abandoned International, which is dedicated to the purpose of showcasing the images, stories, and the people who create the images and art of this genre. This is where we hope to have anyone and everyone from any country post and share their rural and urban abandoned pictures and stories with everyone else. So please stop by and contribute. Just a quick note before we move on to the interview, You can follow this show via any of the main podcatchers out there. And if you do, you can receive the latest show automatically. And remember, it's free. And that's the real beauty of podcasts. In this episode, we get to sit down and interview and feature the multi-talented and very busy Kelly Gomez. Kelly currently calls North Carolina her home base where she works as a digital entrepreneur and gypsy of sorts. Kelly and her husband's work allows them the opportunity to work from just about anywhere, and it has taken them several years to get to this point. She says she's an avid historian first and a photographer second, but you sure can't tell it from the beautiful images she creates and shares across her social media platforms. Kelly teaches an online class called Chasing Tin. She is planning a historical podcast for the near future. And as you will find out during our interview, she leverages her skills and resources to help institutions with preserving historical locations. Way to go, Kelly. And now on with our interview with Miss Kelly Gomez. Well, hello, Kelly, and welcome to this episode of Capturing the Abandon. We're very happy to have you on with us this evening. Thank you so much. I've been really excited to talk to you guys and do this. Thank you so much for having me. We're excited excited to get to pick your brain a little bit and, and see what kind of stories you have to tell. Awesome. So do you want to start? Just give us a little background on you, you know, kind of what, what got you into doing this kind of photography. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm Kelly. I'm uh, 35. I am originally from Florida, but it's kind of hard to say where where I'm really from because I've moved so much. I've lived in Texas, Georgia, Washington State, California, and now I live in North Carolina. So um, it's kind of hard to figure out where home is. I guess it would mainly be Florida, but uh, my husband and I are kind of gypsies in that uh, we both are able to work remotely. So uh, we both work web-based jobs, which means that as long as we have internet, we can we can still work. So we travel almost 
part-time, like meaning, you know, like almost half of the year we're on the road, if, if not even a little bit more than that. And that's actually helped me to expand how much I'm able to see um, and, and work on for my project. So, and I would say that I have two jobs. My main one is definitely working on my, my project, the, For the Forgotten South, where it's really my mission to document disappearing architecture across the South. Um, I'm not able to save all these places, unfortunately, uh, with money and preservation. So my, my idea is to at least do pictures and research about the people who live there and built them that I can at least save a piece of their memory. So um, that's my main job. And then the other thing that kind of grew out of my photography project is a marketing business. Um, I ended up doing a pretty good job marketing for this project, The Forgotten South. And somewhere along the way in the past few years, I, I started to get hired by other companies to help them with their marketing too. So those are the two things that I'm able to do that allow me to be able to travel so much. Great. Well, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'm uh, rather envious, actually, but we won't go <laughs> well, there. I, will, I always <laughs> tell everyone, you know, first of all, it's not always everything that's cracked up to be living out of a suitcase. But also, uh, it took me about 10 years of work to be able to get to this point. So it wasn't, you know, it's not the easiest thing if you, you're, I'm not, I wasn't just looking for like a get rich quick scheme. I just wanted to be able to work from the internet. So it took a lot of work to get here, but it, it was totally worth all of the, uh, I, I bartended for many years and that was how I actually kind of got started in all of this. When I, uh, I, I went to a school originally at the University of Florida uh, and I studied history there, go Gators. And that was many, many moons ago. When I got out, I kind of did a few different jobs and, you know, pursued a bunch of different things to see what I wanted to do and none of it really stuck with me. So. Eventually, I ended up going back to school for graphic design. And in graphic design school, that was where they required that we had a DSLR camera. So that was where I picked up a camera and um, and kind of learned all this. But it was my bartending job back then that helped me to pay for that camera. So, um, you know, I've gone through a lot of career changes in, in my years on this on this planet. Well, that's good. Great. So that kind of just covered about how you got into this type of photography is yeah, the story for me, and I've been so fascinated to hear everyone's story on how they got into this, but for me, it's actually a pretty personal story. So um, I was in graphic design school. I had that camera, and you know, by the time I ended graphic design school, I realized that I actually preferred photography to graphic design. So I learned a lot of great things, but I didn't really want to be a graphic designer. So I was kind of you know, going about my plan, making all these plans for my life, and as life does sometimes, I guess, and maybe not for everybody, but for me at least, um, it went into a, a crazy tailspin, uh, not at my own doing, um, but literally my life got turned upside down almost overnight. And I uh, found myself, you know, all of my plans for my life, like it was a carpet that got ripped out from underneath me in about 2009 or 10. So I had very little resources available to me. I wasn't able to travel anymore. I had a large stack of bills that had um, fallen into my lap that I needed to find a way to pay. And my whole life just completely changed almost in the course of, of an evening. So um, so I literally found myself in a very, very uh, dark, sad place. I didn't have a lot of hope for my future. All of everything I'd worked so hard for was kind of just ripped away. So I really kind of had a coming to, you know, realization moment that I needed to find something to get myself through the next, you know, decade that was not going to be any easier, you know, 
Um, so I was actively looking for something to distract myself, to throw myself into and get passionate about because I, I needed, I needed a purpose kind of. So a distraction, a distraction. Absolutely. I wanted to think about anything that wasn't my own life to be candid about it. So I had this camera and I thought, okay, maybe I, I was really passionate about the photography classes I'd taken. And I, you know, I'd been told and I thought that I had a pretty decent eye. So. I figured I'd pursue that. So I kind of at first started doing landscape photography and then I was like doing flower photography and then I did portrait photography and I dabbled in a bunch of things and none of it really stuck with me. And there was by this weird chance about 10 years before that I had been, I had the opportunity to live in Europe for a little bit. So uh, I had been exposed to something called Urbex back around 1999 Um, and at the time urbex was and still is a very big pursuit or you know it was really popular in europe and this crazy person i thought this crazy person at the time that i met in germany (laughs) told me about this abandoned um like tomb essentially under paris to go to and i thought the person was crazy but i went with him it was incredible i was blown away and it was just this one-time experience. I didn't really think much more of it. But, you know, fast forward to this time where I'm looking for something to do and uh, and something to kind of get into. Um, I've, I've always been a history nerd. So I thought about it and I was like, let me look online and see if there's anything Urbex America. And I didn't think there would be because, for you know, Europe is thousands of years older architecturally wise. And I just didn't think we had that kind of thing in the States. But very quickly, I found out that that was wrong <laughs> and there was plenty of abandoned stuff to get into here. So that was really interesting. I, I, after just a couple hours of research, I found one place that was about 20 minutes from my house, strangely enough. And I woke up the next morning and I went straight there. It was, um, it was one of those moments that I was just in the right place at the right time. It was, it was just epic. I found a schoolhouse that when you see the schoolhouse, it's like your jaw hits the floor. It's two stories. It has an epic bell tower. It's from the 1800s. It's in the middle of nowhere, Florida. It's down a dirt road draped in Spanish moss. It's just, it's epic. It's just, I've never seen another school like it. And it was literally the first building that I went to here in the States. So it was all over for me that by then, you know what I mean? I (laughs) had gotten, I'd gotten bit if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, And I quickly found a lot of abandoned buildings right in my area. So uh, it was, I mean, it was just, it was so easy for me to just, I didn't have to travel far, which was good because I didn't have the means to travel at that time. And it was really something that I was able to just completely throw myself into. I used to teach photography at a college here. And I always ask my students, what is your favorite subject to shoot? What would that be for you? Oh, for me, um, well, now it's obviously abandoned things, but if I had to be a more nuanced response to that, um, I'm really most passionate, I guess, about old farmhouses, whether it's an epic, huge one down here in the South or like a little tenant farming, sharecropping house. Any kind of farmhouse is probably my favorite. My favorite is definitely whatever building I can get inside of, right? <laughs> um, but <laughs> right. if it has some really beautiful, fluffy, epic clouds behind it, that is definitely my kind of place. Um, and my second favorite after that would definitely be old cars. They just have so much character and, you know, an abandoned car on the side of the road. Y'all shoot a lot of cars too. And I've, I've noticed that. So old cars and trucks, I just, I love something about an old rusted vehicle on the side of the road. 
Yeah, we really uh, can identify with that for sure. That's that sounds like us. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm uh, I'm a landscape photographer. That was my my main thing when I started. So I'm always looking for you know if you have the the car or something in the lower thirds, I look for some kind of dramatic sky or something. I always tell Vincent, pray for clouds. So Kelly, what? What kind of equipment do you use when you go out taking pictures? Okay, I'm going to try to make this a short list. Um, my husband and I are both really into photography, so we like prioritize investing in new gadgets rather than spending money on in other things. So we have a lot of gadgets we play with. Um, my first camera was the, the Canon EOS 50D that I got for graphic design school. And that was what I kind of like learned on. I, I, I learned manual through that. Uh, then I upgraded shortly after that to a 60D. They're both, those are crop frames, but they're still, you know, pretty solid uh, DSLRs. About four years ago, I moved to a mirrorless. So I have a Sony, is it a 6300, I believe. Um, and so I mainly rotate between those two cameras, depending on what I'm shooting, because I have a lot better lenses for the Canon than I do for the Sony. It's been fun to learn the mirrorless. Um, it's, you know, obviously it's a little bit easier to carry around. And when I travel, I don't have to have quite so much of a big gear bag. But I tell you, like, I really miss the shutter actuation because <laughs> it doesn't sound the same when you when you press the shutter release. Um, I really miss that about my DSLR. So I go back and forth between those cameras. I still have it at 60D also. And then I just recently got a 70D. And uh, oh, I, nice. I, I, I just love those cameras. They're they're great. They're great and awesome. But here's the funny thing now. Um, and again, another great insight I'd love to have from your podcast about what other people shoot with. I end up shooting quite a bit with my iPhone nowadays. I have the iPhone X, so it's not the most recent. But um, what I do, because I'll go back to properties multiple times. I try to get permission to get inside whenever I can. I'm trying to find the owner to get the history and that kind of thing. So If I'm going the first time to just kind of like scout the area, I'll usually take pictures on my phone that way. And lately I've been incorporating more video and tours and that kind of thing. And I'm not doing like professional level video. I'm just shooting that video from my phone. So it's crazy how much my iPhone has worked its way into the process. And about six months ago, I also got a drone. So I'm trying to learn how to use the drone, but um, it's not going so smoothly yet. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, it's being able to yeah, fly but... it is one thing, and then to compose the shot and you know your exposures and everything is a whole other scenario. So um, I, I'm always picking up new fun things to play with. We have a, th- a 3D camera that I'm hoping to use inside of old buildings so that I can well, that make an actual fun. 3D. Yeah. yeah. There's always a learning curve. So um, when you shoot your images, what's your favorite? software or utility um you know you said you do some iphone stuff so i i know it's a little bit different on the phone what's your primary go-to yeah, software? So it's completely different workflows if i'm doing my, obviously my smartphone photos versus like the computer or uploading my um my dslr photos and, and that kind of stuff so on the computer what i do is i upload everything into lightroom and i sort it and organize it and add tags and all that kind of thing in there um, i have a huge huge way too large gallery of photos at this point that if i don't stay really diligent about um, organizing them and, and and adding the tags appropriately i'll just get completely lost behind everything so 
uh, I organize it all in Lightroom. And then if there's photos that um, I really, one of my photography professors that I didn't necessarily always agree with this on, but he would say that you should get the exposures in the camera so that the straight out of camera exposure was, was what you wanted and you didn't need to mess with it. And I always have that in my head that he's judging me whenever I need to use Photoshop, but I still use Photoshop. Um, I, I love Photoshop. It, you know, it, it was the first photo editing software that I learned. So I didn't realize at the time what an awesome thing I was learning uh, because it's not, it's not as intuitive. You know, it, it, it definitely takes training to learn it. So I yeah. use Photoshop on my computer. Uh, but if it's an iPhone photo, my favorite hands down is Snapseed. I use Snapseed all the time if it's a, if it's a phone photo. Um, it has uh, most of the functionality I would need. That seems to be what uh, all the iPhone users are doing is Snapseed. You know, there's some are using mixtures and a few things, but I think everybody that has an iPhone is using Snapseed. You have that too, Vincent, right? Yeah, I do. And I, I really enjoy it. It's so powerful for uh, a mobile app. It, it lets you do so many different things. It's awesome. Definitely. So, yeah, a lot of times yeah. I'll process something in Lightroom, take it to Photoshop, and then download it to the phone and and then still use Snapseed on it to bring out detail or, you know, just change the look completely. So it, there's a whole process for sure. I don't use Lightroom's catalog. I started using it years ago when Lightroom first came out. I had the first disc version. Um, I shot with Joe Zan and these guys that were doing the large format stuff when Lightroom came out. And they showed me a different way to catalog and everything I shoot is the, the main folder is by date. And then inside of that, the subfolder is by subject. So every, uh, you know, like my mom, she uses Lightroom and she uses the catalogs and does the tags like you do. But I just, I never, I never have been comfortable with letting Lightroom manage my, uh, my images. I just, I can't find them. I go back and forth with this so much because like your file naming convention is such a big deal. And it's mine, you know, over the years has just changed so many times. Back in the day, I used to put like what I called the house or the property. And then I started listing it by county. And then I expanded outside of Florida. And then I was like, oh, goodness, this system was not built to grow. Right. (laughs) Um, But luckily, my husband is a um, he's a data scientist, essentially. So he has helped me to get better systems in place. They're still not up to his standard, but at least where I'm cataloging it better. But I I absolutely agree that by date, if I had done this from the beginning, I would have organized them by date. Um, It's, I I wish someone had told me back then, you know, but what can you do? Right. That's that's hindsight. That's that's how you learn, you know, and Mm -hmm. now when I send Vincent something, if we're sharing something on a drive, Google Drive or something, it's always 2019, you know, 0927. And then when he opens that folder, it'll say, you know, Wilson Place or whatever. And everybody's got something that works. Everybody's got a, a system that works for them. And it dawns on me that you guys would have an even additional challenge because you're having to coordinate photos between two people. So it's just my photography. So if you're having to make sure that you're both naming things correctly and saving them the same way and all that, that I'm, you guys just, you're doing great work. I'm really impressed. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Kelly. So how long have you been doing this uh, in total for the, the abandoned photography, I guess? 
Yeah, so the first time I ever went inside of an abandoned building, really, like I mentioned, was in the early 2000s in France. But um, that was like a weird lark. Like that didn't happen again for very for a very long time until I got back into the States. So when I actually started exploring was, it was either like December of 2009 or January 2010. It was literally right around then. So I'm coming right up on, on about 10 years of, of doing this. And the interesting thing is that when I started back then, I really thought that I, I remember at that time, the community was much different than it is now. And what I love about the community now is that, first of all, that it's focused on Instagram so that we're all kind of in that same space, but everybody's super supportive. And that was definitely not the case when I first got started back in you know 2009 or 2010. Everyone was focused. I don't know if you guys were doing this back then, but everyone was focused on this one forum called UER for like, you know, it was like Urbex Europe or whatever, I guess. But it was UER, and it was one of these old school forums that had like threaded comments. It almost looked like Reddit, where it's just like comment thread after comment thread after comment thread. And it was a huge forum that had, you know, probably 20 to 30,000 people on it. And everyone would post their photos of the location that they had been to. And then essentially, it was a bunch of trolls that would just come out and tell you how terrible your photos were. It was just, it was the meanest people. No one would, obviously, no one would share locations. Nobody would meet up to like support new photographers. Nobody, everyone was just, it was a lot of angry people behind a keyboard back then. And if you mentioned, if you talked about to UER to anybody that was around back then, they will, I'm sure, agree with me. It was just literally a very toxic forum to hang out in for, for explorers. So that's what's nice about Instagram. It seems this community, especially, I, I'm sure there are other communities that do a lot of different other types of photography, landscape, flowers, like yeah. you're saying. But I know but, this group here that we all follow each other and everybody's so supportive and, and you know, just a little so pat supportive. on the back here and there. And it's just, uh, it's awesome. It's a totally different thing than when I got into it. So I'm really excited that that, that old school group of people is not still hanging around because this is a whole different class of people that, support each other. Like some of my best friends now are people from this niche of photographers that are, you know, all of us weirdos. We're all in the same like weird boat together. It's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Anytime there's a, some kind of new platform comes out, whether it's music or photography or whatever, there's always the haters out there, you know, and that's just, it's just the nature of the beast, but we're, it's to a point now where everybody can share and comment on other people's photos and you can, you know, thanks to the moderators and the people out there that are, you know, reposting things, it, it just helps people thrive. You know, it builds everybody's page. So it's, it's a community and it's a, it's a growing yeah. community too. And it's a supportive community. So that's wonderful. So Kelly, uh, what's the shadiest place you've been to? Oh man. So I knew you were going to ask me this and I needed to prepare. Um, there's been a lot. I, I, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time, but there's, there's been such a wide variety. And in the beginning I started going to urban places. I definitely thought I was going to be like an urbexer where I'm definitely a, a rurexer now, I guess, if we don't have another name for it. Uh, I focus obviously more on rural stuff nowadays, but in the beginning I was definitely going to, um, you know, I went to a giant schoolhouse in downtown Jacksonville, Florida, which is a big city. I went to an asylum and in South Carolina, Naval Base in South Carolina. I went to Six Flags in New Orleans. That were all um, definitely in the city. So those were those were shady for their own reasons, and that there was homeless people and asbestos and mold and that kind of stuff. But as far as like 
actual like a shady story of something that I can that I can share in that way is this one place and you'll have to forgive me I have to be a little bit vague about it uh, just out of respect for the people that are involved but there was a church that I've been to um, that is it sits at a crossroads that used to be a town so it's pretty much like a ghost town now the only thing that's left there now is these two churches and a handful of old homes and I tried for many, many years to get permission to get into one of these old churches. And I finally was put in contact with someone who could put me in touch with the owner. So I uh, spent four hours in one direction driving to get to this church uh, because I had no problem putting miles on my car at this point. <laughs> so I drove in four hours in one direction to get to this church. Keep in mind, I've had years and years to try to, to try to get in here. So this was like a big coup for me. I was so excited. And I got there. and. It was a very, very sketchy situation to be in. Um, the church at one point, there had been a house on the property as well. The house was lived in by a descendant who was one of the founders of the church. And the house burned down about 15 years before. So he moved into the church. Um, the reason I'm being a little bit vague, this person uh, suffers from some mental health issues. So um, I'm trying to just be like respectful of, of their privacy in that way. Um, but he, um, when I got there, there were uh, a lot of dogs. And I will give this the caveat. I am a crazy dog lady. Like, I love dogs more than I love just about anything on this planet. But I have never been so afraid of dogs in my life. There were maybe, if I could even guess, there was more than 100 dogs on this property. Wow. They were, yeah. They were all um, very close to wild or feral dogs. No, none of these dogs had ever been like fixed or trained or, you know, vaccinated or anything like that. Um, and we're out in the middle of nowhere in the boonies. So I get to this place, the owner comes out and I find out, you know, that he had moved into this church. Um, he wasn't living in the house that I had told, I was told he was living in. He'd moved into the church many years before with all of these dogs. Um, this church is from the 1800s. It has no electricity. It has no air conditioning, no lights, none of this. Um, and as soon as I set foot on the property, one of the dogs mauled another dog in front of me. It was, it was not a good situation to be in, um, you know, as a woman, especially out in the middle of nowhere with someone that I didn't know before I spoke with him that this was someone who was like, suffering from um, some mental health issues that, you know, not to his own fault by any means, but it wasn't a safe scenario for me to be in. So I had to very quickly figure out how to navigate out of this situation because Going inside of the church at this point was not something I was any longer interested in. <laughs> and um, as I left, the dogs were literally, um, I mean, there's like one dog in the pack who was being picked on and the rest of the dogs were literally about to eat this dog alive. I've never been so frightened in my life. And the following week, a neighbor issued a complaint and the gentleman was, um, was taken away. And it's four years later, he's still, he's still away for um, animal cruelty. And he was put into a mental health facility to hopefully find him the help that he needed. So, you know, it was that was definitely the shadiest situation because I didn't know what I was walking into. And here I thought I was so excited that I had finally gotten in touch with this person. And I showed up to find out that I was actually kind of had put myself in danger. So that was the shadiest situation, definitely. Well, that definitely does apply. I mean, that sounds like a shady situation, a shady location. And, and uh, at least there was a good outcome. You got out and. You're here to talk about it. And the other thing, that church has been taken over by somebody who is a preservationist. And now I've gotten to actually go inside the church and see it now that it was safer. So there's a happy story there, too, I guess. So 
What is your favorite story you like to tell from your all your ad- abandoned adventures? Oh boy, there's a lot to those. Um, there was one situation that I thought was a uh, hilarious. Um, my, one of my best friends that I met through this exploration, she and I uh, were. I was contacted by someone on one of my Facebook pages who was a fan or a follower of my page. And he told me, hey, I know of a house on my aunt's property that I would like to get you to go and shoot. It's part of my family history. And I said, oh, my goodness, I'd be so honored. He set me up. He told me the phone number and the address and, like, when to go and all this stuff. And he coordinated with his aunt. So I brought my friend Nicole with me. We show up that day. We walk into the house. We're shooting it for about an hour because we had permission to be in there. So we're literally taking our time, you know. Most of the time I'm skedaddling if I'm not, you know, if I don't have permission to be there, I try to get in and out as quickly as possible, or I don't go in at all if I don't have the permission most of the time. But this day, you know, we were literally just taking our sweet time in here. And all of a sudden someone comes running in the front door with a broom and is hitting the walls and the door jam with the broom, like to announce themselves. And we obviously freaked out. Well, come long story short, what happened was that the person who contacted me and told me that I had permission to get in there, he just assumed that his aunt would be okay with it. He actually had never spoken with her about it. So we were all up in this lady's house, just taking pictures. Like it was, you know, like we had been welcomed in and she saw her car in the driveway and she comes in and she's like, what are you doing in my house? It was the most awkward scenario. I, we had to quickly explain. I'm like, I'm a historian and a photographer, and we're just here to take pictures. I'm so sorry. Your your nephew, XYZ, told me it was okay to be here. And she's like, this is not his house. He can't give you permission. And I just felt like such a jerk because, you know, you learn your lesson. But it's one of those things I would have never considered. I just assumed that because this person told me it was okay, that it was okay. But I literally just walked into this woman's house. And it was one of those houses where, I don't know if you have the same thing where you guys are at, but in the South, it happens a lot where there's an abandoned house that a family member has inherited and they can't pay to fix up the house. So they put a manufactured home in the back or like a trailer or they build something small in the back of the property. So she lived literally like a couple hundred feet behind the house. And I'm walking through, not even knowing that I'm, you know, the woman's making lunch and I'm trespassing through her house. I felt like such a jerk. Yeah, that's a good story. That's for sure. Kind of a embarrassing almost. Definitely. But, you know, uh, that, that's only the first time that that ever happened. I mean, it's actually happened to me twice more where someone gave me permission and I found out that they were actually not the person that should be giving me permission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that right. makes it a little difficult. Uh, what's uh, one of the best places you've been to? That would be really hard to pick. Um, actually, some I guess the ones that stand out the most to me are from that like urban exploring era that I had um, in the beginning because I don't really do those anymore. But, but, you know, like Six Flags, when I went to Six Flags in New Orleans, I don't know if you guys have read or seen anything about it, but uh, when I went there, it was about five years after Hurricane Katrina. And at the time I thought, oh goodness, it's been five years. Like everyone has shot this. There's no reason for me to go. You know, and here it is 15 years later and people are still trying to get into Six Flags. Um, but when I went there, it was that was a really poignant place for me. Uh, New Orleans has a big spot in my heart. I spend a, a few weeks there every year, and I have for many years now. My husband and I actually got married in New Orleans. Um, it's just a place that means a lot to me. So to see uh, to see Six Flags was probably the most um, like heavy and and meaningful because because if, like I said, I'm not sure if you guys know anything about it, but when the levee broke and that part of New Orleans flooded. Um, with, oh, yeah. the, with Lake Pontchartrain, 
the lake flooded Six Flags and Six Flags was under about five to six feet of water for about a month. That oh the water gosh. level did not wow. go down. So by the time I was there, which was, you know, five years later or so, exactly five years after the hurricane, actually, um, anywhere you walked through any of the buildings, you could see the water line. And I'm about six feet tall and very tall. So it was literally right at my eye level um, everywhere I went. And going through that building or through all of those buildings was really, uh, it was very heavy and sad because it was this whole park that still to this day has never been redeveloped. And that area of New Orleans was what got hit the hardest by the levees um, flooding the area. So uh, it's it's just heartbreaking because that area still has not recovered. If you drive through there today, it looks like Hurricane Katrina just came through. Um, it's It's really sad. So if we were going through your Instagram feed, what would you say your best shot is and why? I don't know. I'm I'm very hard on myself as far as like my photography. I always think it could be better. Um, I definitely, any of my best shots are almost always going to have some epic clouds in them. But I think the ones that stick out the most to me, I have a few that have, um, this happens quite a bit in Georgia, for instance where an old homestead is, is abandoned and there's wisteria vines growing through it. Y'all know what wisteria is? I don't know if, I don't think yep. you have that in Colorado. So they're invasive and they're terrible and they're a nuisance, but in an abandoned house where it's ugly anyway, why not, or not ugly, but you know what I mean, why not have a beautiful showy purple, you know, flower coming through? I really love, those are usually the shots that end up being my personal favorites, that anything that has that kind of thing, because it's kind of that nature is taking back over, you know, like it's it's going back to the earth type of thing that, just seems to strike me a little bit more. Um, I don't know that I could pick one shot, but if I was going to, it'd probably be a shot that had that had something like that in it. Would you like to mention any of your art shows and exhibitions that you might have had or been done? I haven't done any of these in the past, but I have plans for my first one in February where I'm actually going to be presenting my art in a couple of local um, stores here in North Carolina. So instead of doing like a traditional art show where you'd have a whole booth set up, which I hope to do that one day, but I entered one of those festivals about two or three years ago and I was accepted into the festival. But then when I realized all the work that went into it, I just didn't have the time at that, at that moment. So I really need to like get that together. So what I did instead was I printed up a, a small section of some of my favorite photos and I've approached local businesses like coffee shops and, um, and one is a music store that will show my photos there. Uh, I'm really excited about that. That'll be like my first time actually like showing my photography as, as art because a lot of my people that follow me, I think follow me because they're into history. And, and you know, I think that they think my pictures are okay, but I've never, I, I don't present myself as an artist as much as I do um, a historian that takes photographs. So it's a little nerve wracking to put myself out there in that way. But I do have, um, I do have two of those that will be coming up. And then also, I don't know if this is in that same category, but I'll be hosting my first uh, like in-person event in spring of 2020, where I'm giving uh, historic tours of a site here in North Carolina that I have partnered with a local foundation here that's trying to raise money and awareness for this building. So I'm going to host events there where we go through the history, do a tour of the building, and try to raise funds to, to do some preservation there. Oh, that's oh, nice. That's great. 
it's always nice when somebody can uh, can reach out and uh, do something in the community and uh, kudos to you. Yeah, I'm passionate about preservation, but you know, preservation is really what it comes down to is money. And I don't have a, a ton of money, but I have time that I can donate. So I'm trying to get creative and try to help these sites that are raising funds to fix roofs and shore up foundations and replace windows and that kind of thing. But if I can't help them with the money, I've been trying to leverage the audience that I built as a way to help them to bring awareness and, and make the make the wheels move a little bit faster whenever I can. Do you have anything in the works, any special projects like a book or something? It looks like you have enough material that you could, you know, put out a book or something like that. Is is that in the plans in the future possible? Oh goodness, guys. I I need I need your help because you guys have already put out a book. I have three <laughs> books that are about seventy five percent done. Um, I signed or I signed a preliminary deal with a publisher about a year and a half ago. We started down a process and I'm just, you know, and I, I assume that you guys probably feel the same way, but my project is so much my baby that it was hard for me to give up much control of what the end product would look like in a book. Um, and I also have quite a bit of experience in self-publishing. I help my own clients in marketing to publish their own books and it's there's enough platforms nowadays that it's relatively easy to do that. So I have three books now that are 75% done and I just need to get over like my perfectionist problem to put them out there because I'm just, I'm, they're never going to be right like a hundred percent. So I just need to put it out there. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes right. that's the way it, I mean, we, we went through several rewrites and uh, just the communication between us and the, and the, the publisher it, it, it's, it was quite a process and still we ended up with, you know, some pages that have a half a blank page or this or that. You, you, you just can't control it all and then you get under time time limits too. So there's a lot of factors in putting something like that together. It's one of those things that I'm trying to figure out the importance of like having 100% what I wanted. Because of course, in the beginning, I imagine that I have a, a hardcover coffee table book. But then when I saw what goes into that, um, I realized because I've helped to publish a, a very with the University of Georgia Press. I helped to publish a book that's a hardcover um, book. That's like I mean the amount of work that went into it is just incredible. So now it's more about figuring out what's better for my brand because I have you know I have so many states that I cover and then I have so many you know I have churches and schools and houses and there's a lot of different sure. material to work with. That's for sure. And, and it's like painting, you know, once you get the wall painted. There's always something you want to go back over with the roller, but there's got to be a time where you say, you know what, this is good. This is done. I'm finished. <laughs> and if you let it dry, you you can't tell where you left off. So I think sometimes you just uh, put it out there and, you know, it'll, it'll do, it'll do what it's going to do. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of self-publishing too, though, is that if I find mistakes moving forward, I just submit a new manuscript and they just add that to the listing so that I can, if I find mistakes, I can easily fix it. Um, it's just, you have to do it all yourself. You know, you don't have a publisher and editor and you have to, you have to do it all yourself or hire somebody, you know, you can easily find so many um, virtual systems. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a big process for sure, but it, you'll, you'll get through it whenever you're ready to make it happen. You, you do a lot of different things, so you should be able to figure it out, I'm sure. So yeah. do you have a, a few people that you'd like to do a shout out for? Yes, I probably have the same problem that everyone else does. I'm going to try to keep this list as short as possible because there's just so many amazing people in the community that have like made it all so much 
I mean, I think we talked about this briefly, but it's made the experience so much better that it's so much more than just posting your pictures on Instagram. It's getting to meet other people who are interested in something that's similar to you that's kind of obscure and it makes you feel like less of a weirdo. So I have a healthy size list, but I'm going to move through them quickly. I have to like say thank you to my, my husband, who's the best supporter ever. And then my brother, who was the first person that ever went out exploring with me. I'm so grateful for him on that day. I don't know what I would have done if he didn't go out with me. Then my, my number one person is my very best friend, Nicole, as her profile of Dixie Gypsy. Um, she and I met up the first time through Flickr in 2013, and we've been pretty much like inseparable ever since. She and I have gone out on probably more than 100 explorers now together. She's my favorite person to ramble with. Um, then uh, one of my mentors, who's now become a personal friend, we go out and explore together, is Brian Brown. His Instagram is Brian Brown Photography, I believe, but he's better known as Vanishing South Georgia. Uh, he's been doing this for years and years longer than I have. If it wasn't for him, my project would not be going on right now, so I have to mention him. Then David Bullet, who now his profile is Rust.Devil, um, but he originally started out many years ago as Abandoned Florida. And if you are in the exploring niche in Florida, you know David Bullet. He is like iconic in our state. Um, he was the very first person who was ever willing to meet up with me back in maybe 2011. He drove four hours to meet me, and then we carpooled another four hours to an abandoned High Lie building. I don't know if you guys even know what High Lie is, but in Florida, it used to be a big thing. Um, and he took a chance meeting up with this crazy woman that he didn't know anything about and meeting up with him back in the day, really like it helped to spur me on and move me forward. So I'm so grateful to Russ Devil. Then of course, abandoned North Carolina, my girl, Laura, who you guys have already uh, interviewed. She has become like a sister to me in a very quick amount of time. We're going out exploring next month together. So I'm, awesome. I'm so grateful to have met sure. her. She's such a sweetheart. She is. She's a, she's great. I love love following her. She's got so much good stuff. She does. Um, then Ashley M. Doty or Dottie, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but she's out in Colorado. She is one of my favorite explorers because she does a really great job writing the history of the places. And she's in um she does a lot of the mining towns in Colorado. So she's like she'll hike out overnight to camp with her dogs to go to abandoned places at sunrise. It's it's just She's incredible, and I told her that as soon as I can get the chance to come back to Colorado, I'm going to meet up with her, and hopefully you guys also. Well, yeah, be um, sure to let us know. Then it's Brando Yo. I don't know if that's his actual um, profile name. It's Brando Yo. It's Brandon Coffee. He is a prolific explorer in South Carolina. I love him. Then Lana from Southern Ruins. If you guys haven't followed her yet, you have to. She's one of my personal favorites. And then the last two is going to be Rich Kern. Do you guys know that profile? I'm not sure. Yeah, Rich. I have seen Rich his, is, his stuff. Yeah. Rich is a professional photographer. He works, I want to say he works for Adobe or something. He's like a, a, you know, a magazine level professional photographer. His work is amazing, but one of his best exploring buddies is John Plashal Photo. And I would, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention John. His photos are, first of all, epic. He's based in Virginia. But John graciously took about an hour out of his night or out of his week, um, maybe a week or so ago to talk with me through a whole uh, event planning process that I have, that he was one of the only people I know who's ever hosted an event in an abandoned building. So there's a lot of logistics to go through, and he was nice enough to sit and chat with me. If, if you don't follow him yet, his photos are amazing. So those are my yeah, shout yeah. 
Oh, wonderful. That's that's a good list for sure. I can send this to yeah. you real easily um, just so that, you know, because I, I narrowed down what I originally, I had like 45 and I was like, this is not going to, I'm not going to have time for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of yeah. different ones there. So that's, that's all right. There's that, so many. That'll work. You're going to do maybe some kind of podcast for uh, the historians and things like that. And you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I'm really excited about this. So one of the reasons I was so um, amped up to do this with you guys is I'm a, an avid podcast listener. It's I prefer to listen to podcasts than read blogs or watch TV or watch YouTube. I love podcasts. So I've been listening to them for many, many years from back in the day with like This American Life. I grew up listening to those all the time. So I've always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to have a podcast one day. But when it came to this abandoned stuff, I didn't think it made all that much sense because how was I going to show the pictures and, and get the vibe of, of what was going on? But I kind of developed a model that um, that I think is going to be grabbing to people because there was this episode of This American Life that literally changed my my life. If anyone is interested, it's called The House on Loon Lake, L-O-O-N, like the bird loon. It's a it's a podcast 100% about exploring an abandoned house and what they find inside. Um, if you are an explorer, you have to hear this. It's from like maybe 1999 or 2000. It's, it's just incredible. Well, once I heard that podcast, I realized that we could share these kinds of stories in that medium and still be, you know, still be captivating and still convey the feeling that you might have if you were in one of those houses. So um, I've been storyboarding for it for a couple of months now. I have the first four or five stories. So mine will be a little bit different than yours in that I'm focusing on the stories of the actual places that that um, that we're featuring. So in the beginning, it'll obviously be my locations, but my intention is to eventually have explorers from all over talk about places that they've been to and if they found any history or if there's a cool story about that place that they, that they discovered. Um, I think people, oh, yeah. I hope that people will be interested in that. This seems like there'd be a lot of interest. I mean, a lot of people that follow you are the historian, you know, people that like history. So I think you'll, I think you'll do great. And anything we can do to help you, we'd be happy to do that. I will definitely need to have a session to pick your brain about how to get started in all this. I, I, I only know two people that have podcasted now, including you guys, and then one other person. So I'm definitely going to be picking your brain. So. Well, I was looking around. I saw some books on Amazon. Some are not really books, but they're like book type products that you have on Amazon. Can you tell us a little bit more about them and and why they are and what they are? Yes. So if you just stumble upon them on Amazon, I totally get why they don't make a whole lot of sense. What happened was about a year ago, I was approached by a group of, of documentarians, like document filmmakers. And they were looking for locations to shoot. They're essentially like film scouting. And they came across my profile on Instagram and they were, they just really wanted to know how I had found so many places and how I found the history on them and all that. So I started a relationship with them. And long story short, I ended up developing a course that helps people to find abandoned buildings. Um, at this point, that course is an online course that you can take. It's called Chasing Tin because I'm always looking for rusted tin roofs is why I call it Chasing Tin. But what that what happened is that it was originally developed for film location scouts. Now there's people that are genealogists that use it. Um, there are also people who are artists that are, uh, for instance, I have like watercolor artists that follow me that are looking for locations that they can live paint, that they can like literally set up their easel on the side of the road and paint, which I had no idea that was a thing, but that's a thing. <laughs> 
I have I have students that are rural and, and abandoned explorers. I have people that are location scouts. I have people that are doing historic surveys that have taken this course. And so the books that you saw on Amazon are actually blank workbooks that that go with the course, essentially. Oh, great. So that oh, that's, it's that's, what that's, that's cool. you would take out into the field with you to take notes and, and you know, have them all in one place. Because uh, that's kind I of the impression I got, but I wasn't sure. Field exactly. notes and... That's the thing I'm working on to develop even further moving forward. So those books are developed through one of those self-publishing platforms that I mentioned to you. It's called KDP, which is Kindle Direct Publishing. So you can design blank workbooks or workbooks that have lines or graph in them. You can design workbooks that have writing on every page and like prompts and that kind of thing. But I essentially made those so that my students in the class can have a book that they take out into the field with them to take notes on the places they find. You, you have such a creative way of doing things. That's great. So, Kelly, what's the best way people get in touch with you? Is it through email or direct message? or? I'm really active on all of my platforms. So if you email me or Facebook me or Instagram me, I would definitely, I spend my most, most of my time on Instagram. So the best way would definitely be to DM me there. If you want to, um, I mean, if you want to just email me, you can do that as well. It's kelly at theforgottensouth.com. And that's, uh, that's, you know, just comes into my Gmail. So, but I'm, I'm the same platform, you know, I'm, I'm the Forgotten South on Facebook, on Instagram, on this new platform called TikTok. I don't know if you guys are even on that one, but it's a whole other, it's a whole thing that <laughs> I'm the Forgotten South there. So I try to be the same name as much as possible on all my platforms. So if you message me on any of those, I will respond pretty quickly. We'll put a lot of that contact information in the show notes. So people will be able to find you pretty easy that way. So that'll be good. Perfect. Is there anything else you'd like to add? We went over a whole lot there, didn't we? I mean, yeah, I'm surprised at how quickly you guys were able to get me through this. I thought it was going to take me two hours to talk about myself, which <laughs> is interesting. You know, we don't normally get to talk about ourselves, but um, I appreciate the opportunity. I think that was most of what I wanted to mention. You obviously, you know how to market, you know, you may have an edge on a lot of the other people. But you definitely know what you're doing, and it shows. And we're we're really honored to be able to get a chance to pick your brain. Yeah, it's been, well, one it's of the things I found that's been that's been awesome is that um, in the past, when I started to try to actually grow this account, my my Instagram account for this, because before it was just I was big on Facebook, but not on Instagram. And when I tried to figure that out, I was frustrated in the beginning with some of the hubs because I was trying to like get featured, and nobody wanted to feature me, so. I literally, I use that as fuel and I was like, okay, I'm going to just make my own, I'm going to do my own thing over here. And now what I do is that I'm kind of my own hub. What I do from every day, I try to, I try to feature at least three to four other photographers or other explorers in my stories. And it's just been such an exciting opportunity because I do have a lot of followers, my engagement, because I, I work really hard at this. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. You know, it's not like that. It's not super easy. You have to really try, but I've been able to get, um, some really good traction for other people as well. So I love to be able to use the platform to help other people that are just like starting to get started out. And one of the things now that I do in my marketing business is I actually teach people how to use Instagram. So the chance to help other people along, like I said, when I first started, I remember being so discouraged because so many people were already doing this and this was 10 years ago and I was, I felt like everything had been done. So now when someone reaches out to me and they're brand new and they feel like, maybe it's all been done. I try to tell them that 
the world still needs their perspective and, and, and their, what they see is completely different than what I see. And, and, you know, I don't care if the building has been photographed a thousand times. I want to see your picture of it too. That's where we find out a lot when we're taking pictures. Uh, Bex and I can stand in the same exact place, take a picture. And we've mentioned this before, but each, each picture turns out completely different. So isn't you know, that cool? I love that so much that we all see something a little bit different. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yep. Well, we have sure enjoyed the the time and uh, all the information. You know, we'll we'll keep following your your stuff and wish the best to you. And we look forward to your uh, book. We sure appreciate the time that you've uh, given us tonight and given us a little bit of insight on uh, you know what what sparks uh, fire for you and you know your history. You you dig so deep into the history, so we appreciate you sharing all your your time and your stories with us and we look forward to seeing all the new things on your feed yeah thank you guys so much for having me and thank you for doing this for all of us it's a it's a really great opportunity for everybody to to get a little bit more exposure out there i'm really grateful wonderful thank you very much and we will be visiting with you soon thank you thanks kelly Kelly, thanks so much for being our guest and sharing your story with us on this episode of Capturing the Abandoned. If you're not already following Kelly, please be sure to visit her amazing gallery on Instagram by searching for The Forgotten South. And you can find her work on her website and Facebook by the same name. Be sure to give Kelly a follow. The music bed for this show is titled, Do You Remember? and was composed and performed by Mr. Lex Nichols, my good friend and co-host. For your listening pleasure, we have included the full track at the end of this episode. You can find more of Lex's music on his website at lexnichols.com, on his YouTube channel, Spotify, and on iTunes. We've reached the end of this episode of Capturing the Abandoned, and we hope that you have enjoyed it. You should be able to find this podcast wherever fine podcasts are served, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, and more. Please subscribe and be sure to let any of your adventurous friends and relatives know about this podcast. Your feedback is important to us, so please feel free to reach out to us at capturingtheabandoned at gmail.com and leave us your thoughts, ideas, and suggestions on how we can improve this show and bring you the best capturing the abandoned experience. Fun times, exciting guests, and abandoned content are up ahead. So please stay tuned. And until next time, be safe out there. As promised, here is the complete version of Do You Remember by Lex Nichols. Thank you.